0: Good evening, everyone. Good evening. Friends, our first reading, uh, the prophet uh, has a great dislike for those who take advantage of the poor and those who are impoverished. And um, in the whole book, if you read, uh, this is his, what we understand his charism uh, coming from God. And uh, he, um, he really spoke out against the injustices of his time uh, by the people, by the government of his time. And in our second reading, St. Paul is saying, I desire more so the Lord God desires that you pray for everyone because he desires that everyone should be saved. He wants nothing to be lost. And then he makes a note, in particular, pray for those who are in positions of power and government. (laughs) So we pray for our elected officials (laughs) uh, that they not lose their minds, uh, that they know what to do, uh, and to do it properly. Uh, and I'm talking about all of them. All of them. They need our prayers. And this is one of the things Paul is getting at. So my friends our gospel reading. Uh, the word mammon is Aramaic. Uh, loosely means uh, to understand, to worship money. And mammon was, if you don't know, was the name of a Syrian god. Isn't that correct, Deacon? Um, so it was clever of Jesus to use that name. Um, It was an idol, a golden calf, that the Hebrews tried to fashion and worship during the Exodus from Egypt in the Promised Land, Exodus 32. Jesus uses it to put forth a teaching for his followers about idols, in particular money. And many Christians seem confused about what the Bible puts forth about money and wealth. It has been said that the Bible condemns money as the root of all evil, but actually what it does say is quite different. St. Paul in the Bible says, the love of money is the root of all evils. You'll find that in 1 Timothy 6.10. In context, St. Paul is counseling Timothy on how to deal with the wealthier members of the Christian community. Christians are not to lord it over others and must not so love it so much that it becomes a god to them in their hearts with which Christ must compete. Paul tells Timothy that some people in their desire for money have strayed from the faith and have pierced themselves with many pains. 1 Timothy 6.10 Money in itself is neutral. It's just a medium needed to conduct business, uh, to pay for goods and services. Money can be Good or bad, depending on how we acquire it, what we are doing with it, and what it does for us ultimately or to us. For example, recall the parable of the Good Samaritan money was used to help someone in need. Or the story of Lazarus outside the doors of a wealthy and very powerful king. The king did not use his wealth or influence to help anyone but himself. The gospel does not condemn money. does not condemn the rich or wealthy. But it warns of the ease with which money can captivate and thus enslave the heart of those who have it. Money is a very serious matter. The love of money, the great desiring of it, or the craving of it, is a problem. That is mammon. And many folks have clearly made money their mammon of choice. It has compromised people in the secular world. It has compromised leaders in the churches. It is a very old idol still wandering around the venues of the modern world in search of new worshipers. And many has it found. Christ gave us the principle by which we are to deal with money and to deal with wealth. He told us to trust in God's providence and to prioritize God's kingship over our hearts. If we do this, all the other things in life, including money, will fall into its proper place. The key is found in some words that Jesus said, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these others will be given to you besides Matthew 6, Regarding the steward and the parable that Jesus used, our Lord did not praise his dishonesty, his duplicity, or his deception, which um, is questionable about what he's doing. My friends, I want to read you a note that comes from the Bible itself regarding this. The parable of the dishonest steward has to be understood in the light of Palestinian customs of agents of their time, acting on behalf of their masters and the usurious practices common to such people, meaning the steward. The dishonesty of the steward consisted in the squandering of his master's property, Luke 16, 1, and not in any subsequent graft, The master commends the dishonest steward, who has foregone his own commissions on the business transactions that were rightly his, by having the debtors write new notes that reflected only the real amount owed the master, minus any of the commission due to his steward. The dishonest steward acts in this way in order to ingratiate himself with his debtors, because He knows he is going to be dismissed, fired from his position. The parable then teaches the prudent use of one's materials. That comes directly from a notation within the Catholic Bible. So my friends, Jesus praises the steward for his ability to apprise the situation, his acuity in coming up with a solution, and not wavering from the plan for saving his life. I would say that Jesus would hope he would make other decisions, but this is the one that he made. Now Jesus puts forth then, if his disciples possess similar discipline, dedication, and determination, not dishonesty, the ability to make a decision and then stand by it, in their service of the kingdom of God, Jesus suggests that they would do great things then for his heavenly father. Jesus' followers should put in the same type of time and effort and determination for their spiritual well-being as the dishonest steward put toward his physical welfare. Jesus used the example of the steward in the parable because it was relevant, and it still is today. Today, So I had to look um, to see what would be, what are some other practical things to look at in our time? Perhaps other images closer to home can enlighten this parable. If your child suddenly takes ill, a parent will rush to the ER. Isn't that true, Dr. Taylor? ER doctor. Without delay, and usually driving the emergency room or ED staff crazy, right? and they'll spare no expense, and rightly so. Yet, if that child was endangering their spiritual life because of the places they visit on the internet, the gamings that they are playing, the parent is often slow in taking decisive actions. You understand? Same could be said of one's car. If it breaks down and it goes immediately back to the dealership to be serviced, and they pray that it's under warranty. If the TV stops working, you can't live without that, lest the kids drive you crazy. Worse, you miss a single football game. But if our spiritual life is slipping, sliding, and straying, how often does one show the similar type of concern and the sight of action? In fact, Many frequently exhibit greater concern over material things and nonsensical matters than about the spiritual welfare. They're more concerned about financial bankruptcy than they are about their spiritual bankruptcy. The parable bids us to take care of our spiritual side first. It calls for the same, if not more, ingenuity and planning and effort in our spiritual life as we do in all the other sectors of our life. Our Lord and our soul are more important than all other things. As the reading told us from St. Paul, I desire nothing to be lost. In totality of the readings today, you are to live your life as gift from God and to share that gift. In the church speak, we call it time, talent, and treasure. Use all of it wisely, but use it to the glory of God. By your words and by your actions, by the way you live, You evangelize, bringing others to the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ and therefore leading them to the Father in his name.